Welcome to Marketing Week Meets the CX50 in partnership with Zone and Cognizant Digital Experience. My name is Russell Parsons, Editor-in-Chief of Marketing Week, and I am your host. Over the past five years, Zone and Marketing Week have compiled a list of the UK's top 50 customer experience professionals, the CX50. And in this podcast series, we talk to members of this esteemed group about what puts them and their brands at the forefront of customer experience. We talk to organisational leaders, brand guardians, disruptors, technologists and growth drivers, all members of this exclusive group. Joining us today is someone twice inducted in the CX50, Kim Fowrer. Kim is Chief Product Officer at Checkertrade, the online service connecting homeowners with tradespeople. He joined Checkertrade in 2020 as Chief Commercial Officer from GIFGAF, where he was a founding member. Alongside Kim, we have Esther Duran, Chief Design Officer at Zone Digital, where she is tasked with helping partners transform UX through digital and cultural transformation. Kim, Esther, hello. Hello, Russell. Hi, Russell. Nice to hear you again. Nice for you to join us. Thank you very much to both. Now, Kim, let me begin with you. How would you sum up Checker Trade, what its purpose is, and also the role that CX plays in its success? Well, I'd say Checker Trade's purpose is uh, to become the go-to place for homeowners to improve their home, so home renovation and home repairs. And uh, it, it is from the very start of, of Checker Trade that that purpose has been very true. So, so the origins go back to 1998, where the tornado hit the hometown of Checker Trade in Chelsea. And that flooded the area with a lot of rogue trades that did not a great job at repairing people's homes. So the purpose was built as place uh, a site. At that time, it wasn't even a website. It was more like leaflets where neighbors would be checking and validating real trades from those that uh, you could not trust. And uh, yeah, that comes with, with the name itself. Uh, Check a trade is all about checking that trades that are in our platform are the best quality tradespeople you could hire. And what about CX? What's the role that it's played in the journey today at Checkertrade? Yeah, CX is very much at the core because um, when a homeowner is hiring a, a tradespeople, there are levels of expectations of um, even guarantee, if you want, right now, uh, that the job will be done to a high quality standard. We measured this in various different ways, but it's quite apparent if you go to Checkertrade site that reviews are, are very high. I mean, on average, they're above 9.5 scores. So they are out of 10 phenomenally high scores. And there's a few reasons for this. Uh, one of them is that through the vetting process, we ensure that trades that come through have got all the right accreditations, qualifications. We look at their history in, in various different ways to ensure that they are reputable trades. And then following that, we keep on monitoring their reviews. So high volume of reviews is kind of an expectation at Check a Trade. When you don't have high reviews, we will put you in a blacklist. And if there's more than a couple negative reviews, then you're very likely to be removed from the platform. We remove about 1,500 trades every year from Check a Trade. So it's a case of vetting, and carefully so, which in itself brings trust and authority. You are serving two constituents, uh, the B2B and B2C. How do you balance serving those two customer bases, businesses and consumers? Is there a difference in your approach to both? Absolutely. Because, yeah, I suppose we were born being very much at the side of the homeowner, but we've realised that 
the more you try to drive the experience for homeowners, that's often at the detriment of the trade experience. Let me give you an example. We delivered a feature we call request to quote, and it's a feature that appears on the top of search results. So if you are looking for a tradesperson, let's say a plumber in Portsmouth, you're gonna see that feature right on top. And that feature will help the homeowner find more than one tradesperson right, to, for the job. Now, the chances are that if we send this quote to many trades, the homeowner will get a better experience. They're gonna get, supposed to start with more responses, and often you're gonna be able to um, choose among several trades, which are the ones that you would consider to be more reputable or uh, maybe the best uh, quote for the job. But the more com competition we increase per job, that drives trade dissatisfaction because the impression they get is that homeowners are not committed or they often have lost the job before they have been given a chance, right? So um, keeping that balance right as to driving a good volume of leads into the platform to the right trades is quite key. I mean, we're very much in the business of matchmaking. I often call us the, the Tinder for homeowners and trades. So it, it is quite key to try to just keep it at the, at the minimum level of communication to try to ensure the right contact is made. This, it sounds like a really delicate balancing act though. There is perhaps even an a, almost an inbuilt tension. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, I've realize there's an about an 80% inverse correlation between the homeowner MPS and the trade MPS. So the more I try to push one up, it, it goes to determine to the other. Now, there are some initiatives that we have been working on that actually benefit both sides. Let me give you an example of this. So, so this one I was referring to is, is the redirect feature. And this is like the job matching uh, where I'm trying to connect a homeowner with a trade and, and it's through this request a quote feature then what happens here is like, well, let's, let's limit the volume of trades that are exposed to the job. That's obviously good news for the trade. And you would say initially, well, that's bad news for the homeowner. However, we're giving the trade the option to accept or decline the job. And it's only when they decline the job, so if they're not interested, will I invite another trade to that job. So the more I can try to um, ring fence, and maybe it's in, in periods of time that job between one trade and another, the more I can give that experience of exclusivity, that experience where that job's been awarded to you and giving you the chance to say, well, this is right or not, right? And we learn a lot through this. So for every tradesperson that rejects a job, we get to understand why they've done that. And that gives us an opportunity to get a lot better at matchmaking when a future jobs are posted in our platform. And you, like many brands, have, uh, again, a balance to strike being on and offline. Obviously, the business itself is essentially offline, but it, all journeys start digitally. How do you join the dots between the two and ensure an experience that begins in one environment is continued into another, particularly as you don't have control, these people don't work for you? Yeah, it, it is... Um Obviously, a journey that we're in, we're trying to help both homeowners and trades to complete the jobs end-to-end. -end. At the moment, it's true, we're very much an introduction platform. Uh, so we will introduce you to a tradesperson, and uh, we don't really know what happens. Um, there will be a review at the end uh, in some cases. I wouldn't even say in the majority of cases. Uh, and we're, we're obviously working on, 
on uh, increasing that volume, but it is something that we are trying to find ways to both help homeowners and trades in their journey to complete those jobs. And uh, yeah, I think at the, the end point is the review, right? Because w- once a homeowner is submitting a review, then we know how it's all worked out. We know if the trade's done a good job or uh, if there's been a problem along the way. And if there has been a problem, we also get involved. So we guarantee jobs up to £1,000 if they are done wrong, of course. So we try to help trades and, and mediate this process. If there is a problem, we will send a third-party surveyor to check that this uh, review was uh, legit, that it was valid, and, and, and just to check where the problem was. And uh, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, if, if the problem was on the trade side, then often they are being removed from our platform as a result of this process. We'll dig into the measures of success in a moment. Uh, I just want to bring Esther into the conversation, particularly on this challenge that brands face of bridging on and offline. I mean, how should brands set CX strategy when serving more than one audience? And how can they bridge that on and offline to ensure the single experience? Yeah, that's a great question, Russell. As you know, customer behaviours are changing all the time. So what people need today could be totally different to what they need tomorrow. And obviously different audience, different needs as well. I think it's really important to understand who your audience are. Uh, To be able to understand that, obviously you need to do a research. Those we normally, what we do with our clients, we do quantitative, qualitative research. Uh, We also do focus groups. So if we are going to suggest a product or a service before we even consider to design that product or service, we will understand if there is a need for a market and for those audience to engage with that. Obviously, with that research, um, we will do social listening as well. So just to see, is, is that just an audience? Is a particular region or a particular area, not just in the UK, but globally? Is there a gap in the market that we need to fulfill, etc.? But I think it's very important nowadays to have a data strategy in place as well. Everybody's talking about personalization, personalization. This is no magic. Personalization doesn't happen just, you know, when you flick your fingers. Personalization happens when you understand your audience, but also when you are doing a data strategy to see where within the user journey you need to be asking questions. There is nothing more knowing that when you are trying to purchase something and even before you you click the call to action they are asking you for your email or your date of birth or things that they stop you for advancing in this uh, purchasing or in the user journey or whatever it may be so I always say to my clients before you start asking for details you need to understand when is the right time to ask uh, your audience and what are the questions because if you think about it every single organization has a lot of data that they don't even know they have it so 65 percent of the data of any organization is called dark data they don't know they have it and if they do they will never use it so just to collect data for the sake of it is no longer a purpose so again if you want to know your audience if you want to have personalized messages in terms of 
marketing, but personalized experiences, I think you need to understand who those people are, what do they need, what do they need in a specific uh, moment, so not just today, but obviously what are they going to need tomorrow. And uh, yeah, you need to do those foundations before you even consider to communicate with them or, or to offer them your product or your service. That is what a, a proper customer experience is. Thanks for that, Esther. I feel like giving you an amen. I mean, regardless of whether or not we're talking about on or offline experience, truly understanding your customers and the kind of understanding that can only come from qualitative research and not just hoovering up data and and delivering back some pretty sledgehammer personalised experiences is absolutely key. Uh, Kim, your thoughts on that? I could not agree more. Um, And it it reminded me of the journey we've been at Trade with regard to them the homeowner experience, because um, I mean, we, we've got great experience scores on many different touch points. So I mentioned a moment ago the the review scores, so they, they're very high. So homeowners are very satisfied when they review tradespeople. But we also realize, well, tradespeople are probably selecting which homeowners they are asking a review, right? So, so there's a bit of a bias there. And obviously we wanted to dig a bit more and we started asking homeowners just more generic ourselves uh, through surveys every month, uh, what experience there was. And uh, fortunately, the answer was also very positive with MPSs anywhere between 60 and 70. So very happy with that. Then I looked at browsing the website. We'll ask homeowners at that touch point, see how it is. Also very high MPSs of 60 plus. And then we thought, well, that's great. So uh, the homeowner experience is brilliant. There's not a lot to do. Yes, but... (laughs) What did we realize as well is that, well, the biggest problem is when you are attempting to contact a tradesperson, but the tradesperson does not answer, right? And obviously we, we had that data and anecdotally, there's more of the qualitative side as, and we, you, you would see that on, on trust, trust pilot scores, you would see that on conversations we have with homeowners that it's just very hard to get hold of a, of a tradesperson. So then we realized, well, that is a problem, right? Finding that plumber when you need the most. So how can we understand that? How can we define a metric around that? And how can we develop that? So what we did is we started asking homeowners somewhere between seven and nine days after they contacted the trade, if they had hired the tradesperson. And we realized at the time that the majority had not. So uh, an you know, astonishing low number, if you want, 45% of homeowners said they had not hired the tradesperson. We asked them why. And uh, the majority of the times, like 80%, is because, well, the tradesperson never got back to me, right? So the moment we started to see that month after month, samples of 1,000, we realized, okay, well, this is a big problem. We've got to resolve for homeowners. We've done a great job at reputation, brilliant, but if you can't get your job done, on check it trade, then we've got a big issue. And we created this metric, we call it the job completion rate, which is basically a yes answer to this question. Let's bear in mind that, you know, after seven days, many homeowners still have not made up their mind if they want to hire a trade or not, right? But uh, it is a metric that we can, uh, I suppose, measure very regularly over time. And if we move on a favorable trajectory, then it means we will be making progress. And um, we've made a lot of progress. So through various initiatives, over the past 12 months, we've moved that metric from 45% to up to 57% uh, with a goal of 60 So we're not that far away from our goal right now. And it's uh, a continuous optimization of, of our journeys, knowing that when a homeowner calls a trade, they're a lot more likely 
to get the job completed, which is obviously we've been promoting calls a lot more as a result. Uh, we've been trying to move homeowners away from sending a direct message and more into, well, if you're sending a direct message, would you like to send the same job to another two trades? Because you're going to have a much better chance of completing your job if you do so. So initiatives like these ones have really helped drive the job completion rate up to, let's just say, from a figure of 45 to close to 60%. And it's always asking that second question, why, isn't it? Why is what we're presented with the case? And that's how you iterate and improve and develop your experience. Instant feedback, customer feedback forms will only give you a little sliver of insight, if any insight at all. So good to hear your process there. Continuing with you, Kim, you've talked about different ways that you measure the work that you do. Is there a single success measure, a single metric that you use above all others to determine the success of CX efforts? So classically, I would say it's net promoter score. I suppose we've got two sides, so it's very hard to just say there's just one. There's one MPS for homeowners, there's one MPS for trades. And for us at the moment, it's for homeowners, it's, it's the MPS after a contact. It's, it's seven days, it's a week after a contact. What's, what's your experience been? That is our asset test. I mean, net promoter score is already quite an asset metric, right? If you are uh, you know, considering people who've responded as six out of 10 of how likely are you to recommend uh, check a trade to a friend or family, six out of 10 is a detractor, right? It's already you know, hard to get positive scores. And if you implement NPS on uh, the most challenging part of our journey, which is seven days after a contact, then that definitely means we're going after the biggest problem probably there is in the industry worldwide. But I think it probably goes a bit further than that. Like for tradespeople, we're starting to realize NPS is probably harder to link with a clear business outcome. So we started to understand what's the relationship between net promoter score and, and retention on and churn. And um, we, we looked at all the scores and said, well, there is a relationship, but that relationship varies. So for example, if a tradesperson is answering a zero, a one or a two, they are twice more likely to leave, check a trade, than if you, they score, let's say, a three or four or five. But we also found out, which is natural, of course, but we also found out that if they score a six, they are as likely to leave than if they score a 10. So that changed a lot the dynamic for us because it's no longer trying to drive MPS for MPS sake. It's trying to relate that to a business outcome. And knowing like, well, if you are a six, which you would consider a detractor on an NPS score, that's not a bad thing for us because, uh, you know, tradespeople will have their ups and downs. Let's say in a month of December, demand always drops at check a trade by about 30%. I expect it's going to be no different this year. It's just the dynamics of, of the market and, and the seasonal Christmas season that, that kind of happens every year. So as a result, tradespeople will be less satisfied and they're going to mark us down on the MPS scores. So, but we understand that. And obviously we, we make up for that in the rest of the year, but it, it's key that we start to then connect the dots here with, well, you're going to be your highs and lows. Maybe your average is going to be a six. Sometimes you're going to be an eight. Sometimes you're going to be a six. And over time, we then get to see, well, that's what's the relationship that trades person will have with us, especially in regards to staying and continuing working with, with check a trade. And, and I think that that's 
well, you got to scratch a bit under the surface. So you could, I could answer, you know, broadly the, the, the answer to your question is, is net promoter score. But that, I feel that's, that would be quite a shallow response because you, you've, you've got to understand how net promoter score connects to your business outcomes in order to have the confidence that this is the right uh, metric to go for. I would expect it to be a bit more complicated than one metric speaks all it does require that interrogation. It does re require those follow-up questions. And thank you for talking us through what good looks like and how you take it further. As to your your take on this question, what does good look like when determining the success of CX efforts? Yeah, I think it's, it's very similar to what Kim just mentioned. One part is the feedback, uh, obviously ratings, scores, but when we are talking about products and services, it's also how many people is using your product, how many people is using your service. It's a no-brainer that when we are going on holidays or when we are going to a restaurant, we will always check the reviews before we go. So that's one thing that will qualify customer experience. But the other one is, again, if we are talking about apps, how many downloads you have on your app, how many people is using it. How many people is converting as well from, you know, moving from your competitors uh, and using your service rather than your competitor service? A lot of that, because we talk about customer experience, but a lot of that is also down to your employee experience. And that is always um, the other side of the coin. Your employees at the end of the day are going to be your brand ambassadors. So how good your employees are performing and how, what is the perception of your business from your employee um, part of your workforce, it will, uh, believe it or not, have a massive impact in your uh, customer experience as well. So I think it's a few things to take into consideration, obviously, not just the NPS or, or the feedback, but I think it's an overall experience, not just customer, but your, your employees as well. I think the, uh, there's a theme emerging here. It always depends. And it's never just one simple answer to one simple question, and it shouldn't be either. The point you made about employee experience is a, is a great one, and it's one that we've discussed on this podcast in this series before. It'd be good to get your take, Kim. I mean, the, the general rule of thumb is that your employers are your biggest advocates and absolutely right that they should be. What role do you think employee experience plays in the delivery of better customer experience? It's a huge part of um, the experience. If we think about it, at Ticketrade, we've got over 500 employees. Most of them are talking day in, day out with tradespeople. So they are in the main touch point, that, that personal service, that presence on the phone, usually with the tradesperson. So it is so key that they are measured in terms of the, the satisfaction score that the tradespeople get as a result of that conversation, right? And um, we measure that. So every conversation ends up with a quality score from the tradesperson. They're rating the person they've talked to. Fortunately, again, this is a very high score as well from an MPS point of view, you know, hovering around a 50. But obviously that doesn't come by accident. There's a lot of development. There's a lot of showcasing. There's a lot of training going on by the leaders of check trade especially the operational leaders, to help drive that continuous improvement in service and service scores. Sticking with you, Kim, your chief product officer, how do you make sure that product, brand, service is all aligned? 
it's key to have a, a good structure in place for this. I mean, the, the, you're talking about three different areas that sit within three different departments at Check a Trade. So brand owned by marketing, product owned by myself, and uh, the experience CX side owned by operations. So connecting the dots there can only be done through continuous collaboration, but that's done by design, right? So we feel we're going to get a better outcome if these crucial parts of the experience are divided by key leaders within the organization. So there are regular steering meetings, regular conversations amongst each member of the department to help resolve experience problems end to end. And Esther, how do you bring a human element into what is an online experience? How do you make sure that both the service that you offer and the experience that you deliver has that human element? Yeah, and I mean, nowadays everything is digital, right? So you can purchase anything, um, you can do a bank transfer, you can do many things digitally. But at the end of the day, when you have a problem, you will always want to have a human voice at the other side, just trying to solve your problem. A clear example, they are the neobanks nowadays. Everybody wants to go for a, with a neobank because it's the... It's no hassle. You just open your account digitally. You don't have to go physically anywhere. But when there is a problem, and believe me, there is always a problem, unfortunately, you will want to have a human encounter. You want to, you want to speak with somebody at the other side of the telephone line, or you want to have not a, not a chatbot, but you want to have somebody who empathetically understands your problem. I think that is something that we need to embed in every single digital experience, how the human touch, the human side of things need to be online, but also offline. Again, a lot of banks are going online nowadays, but they are closing a lot of branches and this is not very inclusive either. So a massive part of the population that they are not so digital savvy for whatever the reasons um, we are marginalizing them. So I think it's really important to, yes, of course, go digital. Nowadays, everything is fast, it's quick, it's in your fingertips, but uh, never forget that um, having somebody at the other side, a human, trying to solve your problems, trying to be a little bit more empathetic. Data can't really do that. And that is part of the scores and the feedback that we are talking about. People will tend to give you negative feedback if that experience, when they are uh, finding something that is trauma or something that is a problem, if there is nobody to support them, they will give you a negative uh, feedback. So I think having the human uh, embedded in your digital strategy is extremely important. Good news for all humans. They have a part to play, digitally or otherwise. Thank you. At least for a while. <laughs> Thank you. We can all breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, Kim, I mentioned in my introduction that you were a founding member at GifGaf, another brand that has a reputation for great experience. What similarities are there in the journey between GifGaf and Checker Trade, and what could perhaps one learn from the other? So they're both very value-driven businesses, right? They were set up in an environment where suppose there were already telecommunication businesses out there in the case of GifGaf and uh, the, the whole 
trade industry was already available for homeowners um, out there, right? So in many ways, you'd say, well, what problem are these two businesses resolving? But I think that the core of it is that both felt there was a better way. There's a better way to um, run these services. In the case of GIFGAF, the belief is that working in collaboration with members, you can provide a better service, a better experience. And they've proved that year after year for what is now 13 years running, that they have the best experience scores in the industry, thanks to working in collaboration with their members, right? And that's something that um, Check It Trade can learn. Yes, our members, tradespeople, play a fundamental role in running the company. They're, they're our brand ambassadors in many ways. They are the ones that are exposing our brand to homeowners by asking them to review them, right? Or by placing the, the Check It Trade sticker on, on their vans, right? So, so there's a lot that we owe to members in, in both businesses. I suppose what, what we haven't cracked as much at um, Check It Trade as it works on, on GiftGaf and where Check It Trade could learn from GiftGaf is how can members help each other in terms of uh, driving the business forward. Often tradespeople are very busy. I mean, in this environment, they are incredibly busy. So all of our efforts are on trying to help tradespeople answer homeowners rather than helping each other, right? But uh, I'm sure there's, there's a role to play there as well. Well, do you see it as your responsibility at Checker Trade to elevate trust in the trades market, creating confidence in what can often be a, a pretty opaque market? Yeah, that, that's for sure. And that's going back to, to Checker Trade's origins. That That's why the brand exists, right? Because there are a lot of tradespeople in the industry operating without the right qualifications. They don't have public liability insurance. They are, I suppose, putting homeowners at risk, right? Because uh, I mean, basically what, what they're working on is in, on people's homes and, and they're repairing or improving services and experiences they're gonna have to live with day in, day out. And let's, let's be honest, well, it's a big commitment of money uh, when it comes to improving your home. So uh, obviously tradespeople operate in an environment as well where there's uh, a lot of demand. So they get to not necessarily be world-class leading when it comes to uh, driving phenomenal experiences, right? Because um, the demand will always be there or so far has always been there. So it's, it's a big role to play for a platform like Checkatrade to ensure and, and be honest and be consistent with the quality of service and and having very reputable tradespeople. And let's be honest, let's be, be clear, this goes against any financial metric that you can imagine. The fact that um, only about 80% of tradespeople who want to join the platform will end up joining most of the cases because they don't pass our vetting minimum standards, then that goes against our business. The fact that we're removing 1,500 trades a year, that goes against any financial metric, right? Uh, but again, it's, we have a huge role to play in ensuring that trades on our platform are the best quality trades people. Um, so that's the reputation we're trying to build amongst homeowners. And for anybody who's employed a tradesperson, Ever, particularly in uh, in what is, as you quite rightly say, a very busy, a high demand market. We wish you very well in your journey, in your pursuit of that purpose. One final thought from you, Esther. If there is one thing that you've learned from working with clients about driving better CS outcomes, what would it be? I think it's probably 
you need to fail fast. Don't hack too closely that strategy that you've been working for a long time thinking that is the best. If you have already it's proven that it's not going to work in the long term, don't invest a lot of money and time in something that it won't work. To be able to do that, you have to always listen to your customers. So just keep listening all that feedback that they are giving you. And always uh, learn and improve. Never stop. Don't think that you just design a product or a service and, and it's going to last uh, forever. Because as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, customer behaviors are all the time changing. Customer needs are all the time changing. And your product and your service will have to adapt to all those changes that your customers um, have gone through. So I think those will be not just one, but three takeaways I always say to my clients. And Kim, same question for you. Final thought. So, yeah, I think it's been great to hear Esther and the reassurances that she's bringing in terms of our, our direction of travel here, because, I mean, every intervention does feel like uh, we are taking a lot of these kind of steps of excellence when it comes to defining great experiences on board. Uh, there's still a lot to do and we're still learning. So every day is is a school day at Check It Trade. But it, it, it's great to keep that curiosity amongst business leaders to ensure that we keep on driving the best experiences for homeowners and trades. Thank you very much to both of you. Fail fast, adapt, learn and always be curious. Seems like a good point to finish on. Thank you, Esther. Thank you, Kim, for your time today. Thank you very much, Russell. Thank you, Russell. You have been listening to Marketing Week Meets the CX50 in partnership with Zone and Cognizant Digital Experience with me, Russell Parsons. This podcast was produced by Tim O'Donoghue at Bauer London Creative. Check out previous episodes on marketingweek.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud.